under your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome, folks. Welcome to the show. Now, for those of you who have been... Love this song. Those of you who have been listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour know I've uh, recently, mostly because of the news and as well as the recent... 30-year anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. I've been talking about China a lot. And I'll have to admit, I've been having trouble on how to square, how to talk about China through the lens of advancing human rights and liberty, because sometimes we too often conflate governments with their people. Um, There are things that we should criticize the Chinese government for, of course, but it needs to be done with the right tone of voice, so as to avoid any sort of conflation or confusion. And the guest I have this evening, uh, Robert Anthony Peters, his CV is quite long, but he is the writer and director of a new short film, came out earlier this year, simply called Tank Man. And I think he has struck the exact right tone of how to, well, show the struggle that is going on in China for human liberty. Uh, And without further ado, Robert, how are you this evening? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on, Joey. Uh, it's a pleasure having you, man. Now, I, I want to begin, uh, just so the audience and for my own edification, uh, a little bit about yourself. Because it, I always start off these interviews, especially folks I haven't had the chance to talk to beforehand in detail. It's almost like a first date, you know. <laughs> you know, where are you? Where are you from? Like places you've lived, maybe the most in your life. Wow, these are, these are long sorted tales here. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I grew up in San Francisco. Uh, until I was 16, which is kind of a, a, play, a, a strange place to come from and be a libertarian. Uh, I, back then, I would have been more conservative in my youth because I think, you know, and when you're young, you're supposed to be rebellious, right? And right. to be a conservative in San Francisco was true rebellion. So, um, so fortunately, yeah, I've had the opportunity to move around and about since then. Like I spent uh, a couple years of high school and then college in Arizona and then moved to D.C., worked there a little bit, then moved to New York, went to Lee Strasberg Theater Institute and and kind of lived there off and on, went back to San Francisco off and on. Now I'm pretty much back down in Arizona. And uh, I got to say, of all the places I've been, I'm I'm grateful to be in my adopted homeland here in, in Arizona. And, you know, you, you bring you brought up a really good point at the beginning because I, I'll hear from some friends, particularly those in uh, the arts and entertainment, who tend to skew a little more liberal. They'll talk about Arizona as being this horrible, racist place. Mm. Um, and 
especially after those ID check laws, those kind of stop and, and check ID laws and things like that came about. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, there's always going to be some unfortunate people who, uh, you know, aren't, don't have as, as broad a view of humanity who may be bigoted and such uh, and in offensive ways. But overall, the folks down here, I mean, you know, we've got all sorts of cross-cultural interactions every day. Uh, you know, Mexicans and Mexican-Americans are so embedded uh, in everything you do down here, along with white people and whomever. I mean, I have a business in Tucson. I've got a Chinese restaurant on one side and a, uh, a Vietnamese nail salon on the other. And, you know, this is a well-heeled area. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just everybody works together and uh, and gets along in peace. And, and you know, but I, but I try to say, hey, don't confuse the people of Arizona with whatever the legislature is doing. They may make some really crummy laws, offensive laws, but we're not like that down here. Well, right, and I, I would say I was up in, you know, upstate New York the whole last week and telling people I'm from Alabama, that's an interesting conversation. Oh, yeah, no you, doubt about it. Yeah, when you don't know much about a certain place or a certain people, it's easy to paint in broad strokes, or maybe that's the only thing people feel they have available. And I was actually talking to my godfather up there in upstate New York. He's always lived in Connecticut. He's about to move down there, and I've got to get out to Arizona someday. I, I want to circle back to something real quick, though, Robert. You said that growing up in San Francisco 16 years that uh, you you had this rebellious phase. I mean, all teenagers are rebellious, but did you find yourself particularly iconoclastic uh, that you had to take on this conservative mantle? Um, you know, it, it was a, a bit of just sheer contrarianism combined with some some thoughtfulness. And in fact, by a strange strange circumstance, my father, whom I would go to work with when I was a kid on on the weekends, he did business with a man named Bert Blummert. Now, Bert Blummert had a, a business called Camino Coins. He also had what was called the Center for Libertarian Studies. Mm. And he essentially had provided the seed money for the Mises Institute and would run Ron Paul's campaigns out of his office there. And so he would give me books on Murray Rothbard when I was a kid. So I was listening to Rush Limbaugh because that was kind of the popular contrarian thing to do. But I was also getting these, you know, what has government done to our money on the side? And so it was kind of a curious, curious mixture that fortunately, you know, uh, over time, I'd like to think the wheat uh, separated from the chaff and, and I maintained the libertarian uh, views and, and ditched all, all, you know, basically probably all of the cons exclusively conservative views. Well, and I, I can relate because, I mean, here in Alabama, uh, Montgomery, to a, a certain extent, it, it's a very conservative place. I have conservatives on the show all the time. I work with them, but I'm sort of this uh, lonely libertarian in this world. And uh, I mean, I don't feel that lonely. I've, I've had a chance to reach out through interviews like this. And you do meet folks here locally. The Mises Institute's only, you know, 45 minutes away. Uh, but, you know, I find the the tension between libertarians and both sides of what, are, you know, people consider it's Hillary Clinton or Rush Limbaugh. I think Tom Woods says that a lot. And so I was going to ask you what inspired you to liberty, but when you're being handed Murray Rothbard as a teenager, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of inevitable if you really read his stuff. It's it's great, inspiring work. 
Yeah, you know, and, and then just weird kind of coincidences where I went to debate camp. I mean, you know, obviously I'm kind of a nerd. I went to debate camp in the summer after eighth grade, and the topic was about, it was Lincoln-Douglas debate, and the topic was something about the right of, of people to rebel. And so we were reading John Locke's Second Treatise, and I was thinking, this is really cool, you know? So, <laughs> I, I mean, just these kind of strange confluences of, of varying factors that contributed to, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of stumbling upon these ideas at, the, at an earlier age than most. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that it all worked out this way because I, I, I love this set of ideas and, and it just invigorates me every day to get out and try to, you know, do good work to, to help push these ideas forward. So hopefully we, you know, we end up with a, a better, more peaceful, more prosperous world. Now, I want to focus in on uh, the topic at hand uh, of the Tank Man. Now, I, I hope if folks have not, number one, seen your, your short film, uh, they should take 15 minutes of their time and watch it. I have it on my Facebook page. You can find it, I believe, on YouTube, on, on many platforms. Uh, you, they can look you up, Robert Anthony Peters. Just type in Tank Man into a, you know, Google it, folks. It is worth 15 minutes of your time. And I also hope for folks who have not seen the news footage of the tank man that they they take the time to understand this part of the recent history and that's my question for you what is it about that image of that man standing there in front of that line of tanks that inspired you to say i'm going to take the time the effort work with many others to make a short film out of this yeah that's a a great question i i had you know i i don't remember the event when it happened i think i was oblivious uh to it at that point, I was I was ten years old, and you know I, I would follow the news to a certain extent, but I, I think that just passed me by. But sometime after that, while I was still relatively young, I remember stumbling across that image, and I think I felt like so many people, you know, just you're just awestruck when you see it. It's just a, an amazing, striking picture, and you know I always wondered who is this guy? Why? Would somebody, especially this this fellow who just seems like an ordinary person, why would he do what he did? Uh, you know, he doesn't have a, an army behind him. He doesn't have a bazooka over his shoulder. You know, he's not the uh, oh, you know, Hercules, uh, some kind of mythological hero, right? I mean, he's he's just this regular looking person with a with what seems like a grocery bag in his, in his hands. And, and yet he's willing to stand in front of this machine that can easily crush him. So um, a friend of mine runs a wonderful organization, a, a fellow Alabaman, um, Patrick Reasonover. Uh, his organization is Taliesin Nexus. Uh, you should definitely check that out and, and look at the other films that they back. This was one of the projects that they took on um, provided us with uh, some budget so we could, you know, get some wonderful actors and crew together and uh, produce this and um, and uh, and yeah and, and spread it far and wide. Well, and I was struck by your a very clear choice you made. It's why I reached out to you, and because I really was struggling covering China. Like I'll read something 
you know, an article written up in the New York Post about China's social credit score, and you know, you read about the history of the the 30-year anniversary of the Tiananmen massacre, and yet the government today in China and Beijing is cracking down uh, in very, uh, I have to say, innovative ways that prevent people from even texting or posting on social media about this, even in code. Uh, but what really struck me, and also a guest I've had on when the show was only a Saturday show, uh, before it was weekly, Sarah Squire wrote up uh, something about this piece, and she talked about this choice you made, that you could have made him, uh, quoting her, this revolutionary, this political spitfire reading literature and you know getting ready. He would be leading the marches in Tiananmen, but that's not the choice you made. You made him uh, an everyday person, and for folks who don't know, I don't believe we know anything about the tank man, like who he actually is. We don't know what happened to him. So this is really, you had a canvas based on this news footage to sort of fill in the story for yourself. So why did you choose to make him, well, just an everyday guy almost at his wit's end? Yeah, well, you know, you're right. We only do have about two and a half, three minutes of footage of him. And that's all we know. We know nothing more. About, uh, about who he is, his life before or after. So everything I've done is purely speculative. And really, I just wanted to, I wanted to create the story that I think could be true. Like, I, I don't, I really have a, a fondness for history, and so I want to be as accurate as I can. And in this case, obviously, I'm taking liberties, right? I'm making part of it up. But I'm hoping that it has the feeling of being real or the feeling of being a very real possibility um, for this person. And part of it is I, I wanted this to be an inspirational story so that we could look and say, I mean, listen, reading, you know, tales of, of Hercules or, or Superman or any of these uh, other characters um, in, in myth and, and, you know, or our modern myth, our comics, our right. you know, different cultural aspects, those are exciting to see what uh, people, you know, what these superhumans can do. But, you know, it, it's inspiring, but it has its limitations because we also have to say, hey, man, you know, I, I can't fly, you know, <laughs> or uh, I don't have super speed. I can't hold my breath underwater, you know, for very long. Um, I, you know, there's limitations to what we can uh, do with those so there's a certain value in these more human characters. And I think of, you know, our tank man is similar to Frodo Baggins, you know, where you've got kind of a humble, you know, that's just a little hobbit in a big world. And he's got to go and do something tremendous. And, you know, that's kind of how most of us are. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely no uh, strong I'm no Achilles. I'm not, and I'm not a genius, and I don't have really any special powers whatsoever. Uh, but, you know, not, I didn't want to paint somebody that was unattainable. I wanted to paint somebody that's, hey, like this guy, he wants to avoid problems, just like many of us should. You know, we all have responsibilities, family, whether it's kids or, or parents or a spouse or, or a friend. We don't want to get our friends and family in trouble. You know, we want to try to, just live our lives and live the best lives we can. But every now and then we get confronted with something where it's like, well, what do we do? It seems like we've got to do something. We have to make a hard decision. And 
this is one of those examples where, you know, this guy was presented with a hard decision and he made a, an amazing choice. I mean, he could have just gone home that day. Yes. And looking at, you know, just looking at this man and he wasn't dressed or armed for the occasion, it doesn't seem. He just decided, you know what, I've got to do something and I've got to do it for my family, if nothing else. Now, I want to circle back to the very beginning of the film. And again, folks, we're talking to Robert Anthony Peters. You can find his new short film. Take 15 minutes of your day and watch this. I promise you it is worth your time, especially with China so prominent in the news and right off this 30-year anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. It, right, it starts off immediately. And I love it for two reasons. It really is the theme of what you put together, but it is also... Uh, humanizing. I mean, a father reading to their child, a, a parent reading to their child. It is uh, a universal, telling the stories that help teach a lesson. That's uh, a big thing for me is uh, stories, I think, are the most important thing, narrative, and we often get too caught up in, I think, the, the stories of the powerful want us to get in, locked up in and carry for them. Uh, so where I'm wondering about this story of the ants, is it something that you created, or is this a story that is maybe inspired by an actual allegory in, in China? Where does the ant story come from? So, yeah, glad you asked. It was, um, I had been searching for a good story. You know, I wanted, I wanted to show this guy as a family man, somebody, you know, that, that had things to lose by acting heroically. You know, right. not the, not not just some teenager who's got an axe to grind, but that this that we have a character here who's you know his ultimate choice was a hard choice to make, um, and so I wanted him to uh, to have that interaction with his his son to start off the film. And I've been reading all sorts of books on Chinese mythology and and uh, and fables and you know legends, uh, all these different kinds of tales, and I was. was Watching, I think it was in the documentary "The Gates of Heavenly Peace," which uh, is on YouTube, the, the full thing. Uh, and it was—I think it is. Um, I, it's not. I'll try to try to find a way to upload it for okay. people. But just a tremendous documentary. And there was one of the protesters, uh, this woman, who she's being interviewed, and she said, "Let me tell you the story." that I told the protesters the night before the tanks and soldiers came into the square. And it was this story. And I was just like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, that's it. This. Now, what, what's kind of interesting, though, is I was on a panel recently with a woman who was the other female primary protest leader. There were, there were two. And this was the one who didn't tell the story. And she told me that when this woman told that story, there was some controversy. Hmm. Because a lot of them said, we're sick of sacrificing ourselves for the good of others. And mm. I, I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, and so one of the things, when we first put that story in, when I first put that story in, I had consulted with uh, an excellent writer, screenwriter, Paul Gay, who he, he wrote uh, Liar Liar, he's a, he's a great and thoughtful um, writer uh, and objectivist, and so he altered it to make it clear that the ant 
volunteered to be on the outside because we wanted to be sure we had that where people are choosing, you know, to, uh, to do these things, to put themselves at hazard for the benefit of others. Now, you know, some of the objectivists have complained about that aspect of it, you know, that, that nobody should sacrifice whatsoever. But I, I think a case can be made that for a, a higher value um, or, you know, that there, there could be things that are worth putting yourself at hazard for. Uh, but what I really liked hearing about that controversy is because I hear from some people that say, like, oh, Tiananmen, the protests weren't what you think. It was really a socialist faction who was trying to, you know, take things over and bring things back from the reform. Uh, and this goes to tell me, no, these are people who valued individualism. Their problem with that story was because they had a, a, a sentiment to support individual respect and thought that they didn't want to be sacrificed with a group any longer. And so I think the story still holds, but I really like that there was a controversy about that, too. Yeah, I think that is amazing, and thank you for sharing that, because... I guess the for so long, the Chinese government and many other governments have used this notion of sacrificing for others as a pretext or excuse for them to exploit and have power over others. We're essentially the embodiment of, of you sacrificing. And uh, I've actually had the chance to talk briefly to Paul, um, and we, we shared our love of, of wrestling, brother, brother. Um, but, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> but that is, that's a fantastic uh, edit. Um, to make it clear that they are volunteering themselves and putting it forward. And that does bring that clarity, that this was a movement to move away from what had been happening for so long in the country. I I, I absolutely love it, and I, I love the, the callback to it uh, later in the film. This is, um, well, it's inspiring, folks. And I want to get into, we're going to have to hit a quick break here, Robert, but I want to get into how we inspire folks to the cause of liberty, whether it's in China, uh, mainland, or Hong Kong, or here in this country to continue uh, the cause of human liberty, or anywhere in the world. Um, the actual methods, techniques that we might go about uh, advancing this cause and inspiring people to, well, put their lives and what they have to lose at stake for a cause that is really about having human liberty and the things we so often enjoy in this country. Again, folks, we're talking to Robert Anthony Peters. He's the writer and director of a new short film, Tank Man. You can find it on my Facebook page. You can find it on his. Find it online um, very easily if you just search for it. Uh, we'll be right back after this quick break and continue the conversation. Good. I don't want to talk. 
Again, folks, my guest this evening is Robert Anthony Peters, writer and director of a recent new short film, Tank Man, giving, uh, humanizing, really, the Tank Man footage that came out in the aftermath of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. And where we left off, Robert, uh, I really related to you. Um, I heard you on another talk you gave. Uh, I remember going to a conference, a Students for Liberty conference in Birmingham, and... Uh, a great, brilliant mind, an economist professor, Art Cardin, was making the utilitarian arguments for liberty and libertarianism, or the economic arguments, as well as the deontological arguments and the uh, virtue-based arguments. And I, I appealed to him that is there, are we missing out on sort of the, the pathos uh, as well as sort of the moral case that isn't so systematic? Though Those arguments are, are very important. And you recently, if I, if my brother's wedding had not been this past weekend, I would have been at FeeCon 2019. I was there in 2018. Um, so I would love for you to speak on this idea of how to advance good ideas. Is it always in an academic, systematic way, or can we have more effective ways of, of approaching this that might be, you know, maybe doesn't please the abstract academic systematizing mind, but, you know, maybe inspires the everyday person? Well, uh, you know, you were missed at FECON. I-, I was there the year before as well, and then unfortunately, we-, we must have been two ships passing in the night because yes. uh, we didn't we didn't meet up. But but you were talked about. I, I-, I- Matt Tabor was oh. asking me what was going on, and I said, "Hey, I'm yeah, I'm going to be. I'm really excited. I'm going to be on the Joey Clark Hour," and uh, and he was all excited and telling me about what a great guy you are. Oh, so, Matt's awesome, uh, too. Yeah, he's wonderful. Matt's, Matt's a terrific fellow, so it's always great to see him. And uh, and so, yeah, you know, it, it was it was a great event, and I'm always happy because, you know, over the past number of years, I mean, I think libertarians have been realizing we need to do more with telling stories. Um, we need to, you know, share these these kinds of experiences, and we need to reach people, uh, not just in their intellect, but, you know, in, I'm not particularly religious, uh, but but a soul or some kind of equivalent, and that's what we need to tap into. And, you know, the challenge is, is we're still doing just a lot of talking about it, though. Um, right. They're doing a little bit more, I went to some presentations where, they uh, were talking about kind of interviewing and sharing these real stories with people, but we're not quite at that art stage where we can really tap into, uh, I want to call it a spirituality or something. However, whatever form that takes when we are, you know, viewing art and experiencing it, you know, that feeling when you listen to David Bowie singing Heroes, you know, that where you're like, man, I kind of want to cry, but... I also, you know, want to do something amazing. You get that kind of tingle in the spine and you get excited, you get invigorated. And that kind of thing, 
it's hard to get that with a, a logical, rational discussion. And those things are incredibly valuable, right? I mean, they help guide us in knowing what's a good direction. We need to know these things, you know, what makes sense um, from a utilitarian perspective, from a moral perspective. We need to explore these things intellectually, but we also need to experience them in a different way. So we're, we're not quite there in the movement. We have some people, like I said, my friend Patrick Reasonover and this organization, Taliesin and Nexus, that provided uh, some of the money for this film. You know, they're working on creating uh, artists and, and projects that, that really get this message in ways that you just can't explain to people. Um, yeah, I should tell you briefly about kind of a, uh, another project that I do, okay. which I've been fortunate enough to have some folks uh, work with me on. I'll go to a university and we'll, you know, we'll kind of, we'll pick a, a topic and, and I'll grab a play that's related to it. And then we'll bring in speakers or a speaker or a panel to address things related to that play. And so we'll, we'll, for an audience, we'll have kind of an intellectual component, a talk or something like that to frame it at the beginning. And then we'll have a staged reading of the play. So you get to kind of experience it emotionally. And then we'll have a discussion afterwards and helps to syncretize that intellectual approach with the emotional approach. And I feel like you get so much more out of it that way, uh, as opposed to if you just did one or the other. And we're, you know, we're wonderful creatures where we, we're able to process information, a whole host of methods. And so let's try to take advantage of that to, to spread these really amazing ideas for, for a better world. Well, and it, it really goes into human psychology. And, and again, it's the, the storytelling aspect that I think can uh, almost bypass. It reminds me, bypass sort of the logical drive. So often when I talk to folks on the left and the right, conservative or progressive, whatever you want to call folks these days, uh, they will get triggered, for lack of a better word, by you know what they've been watching so much in the news, what politicians have been saying. And it reminds me of uh, Aldous Huxley saying that the most effective, for good or for ill, uh, propaganda is one that sort of bypasses the conscious mind and hits people subconsciously, where you don't quite understand all, say, you know, take David Bowie's heroes, you don't understand you know, the music behind it in a precise, abstract way, but you can understand what Bowie's saying, you can understand the music he chose and how it works into the message, and you don't have to, again, understand it on an abstract, logical level. You can sort of just feel it. And I find that when you feel it, uh, it that's I think, leads people more to do things and act rather than, as you said, talking about it. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. And especially you think of like classical music, like, like Beethoven. And, you know, I, I don't know much about music. My, my poor composers working with me, uh, <laughs> it's great being Scott McRae and Ryan Rapsis. They could tell you firsthand, I don't know a lot about music. But, you know, but you know, you feel things from it regardless. You know, I, I, I couldn't tell them how to do you know, the, the soundtrack, I could say, well, this, this is kind of what I want to convey here. And then they would create something that, that would do that. And, and you think, oh, man, man, you go listen to Beethoven and just, you know, you can feel these emotions that well up. And you're like, uh, you know, or, or especially, you know, uh, 
ode to joy when they've mm. got, uh, you know, and they're singing in German. I don't understand Germanese. There's so many things I don't know in the world. And so it's, I'm, I'm listening to that, and, you know, and, and the tears are welling in, in my eyes. And I'm, you know, I mean, it seems crazy, right? But it's tapping into something there. That art is tapping into some aspect of our humanity where a more than sufficient number of people feel the same way. Absolutely. So it's, uh, it's important that we start kind of utilizing these things to, to help, uh, you know, share, share kind of our message, uh, along those ways too, because folks with a lot, you know, a lot more destructive messaging use those same tactics also. And I, I shouldn't even say tactics cause I don't, it's not, uh, it sounds almost too, too manipulative, right. but, but to share in a way in which people can receive it. You know, not everybody is going to receive things through high level, um, you know, philosophical discuss- discussions. Lord knows I don't, you know, I, I can go to some of these talks. And I don't have a, I can barely understand, you know, it, it, it just sounds like how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. I don't know what's going on there. Right. Um, well, and I uh, it just clicked with me. Um, it kind of ties nicely in, into your film. Uh, I remember a, a Christopher Hitchens lecture, and I I can't remember the name of it. I'm sure it can be found on YouTube. That's where I found it a few years ago. But he talks about uh, you know poetry and art and music inspiring people to fight back against Stalinism and uh, communist Russia and the Eastern Bloc, and he talks about in one point if you imagine a tank and an army of tanks but if you imagine a single tank what is the fatal flaw in that army that tank battalions you know massive firepower and Hitchens answers his own question the tank operator and if you can imagine yeah. that operator having heard a great song or remembering a great poem that inspires him to put down his operation, uh, then you can imagine pretty much anything. And well, and, and just like in the footage of Tank Man, yeah, you know, there's, there is that tank operator who stopped that tank. Right. It wasn't Tank Man who did. There was somebody inside there who, I mean, who knows, but it's very possible that just through his sheer humanity... He stopped the tank because it became all too real. I do not want to run over this person. I I don't know if that's what he did. I mean, it didn't look like there was a mechanical failure. It could still go or, I mean, it's a very real possibility that that's, that's what did it. And you need to tap into that. There's a beautiful movie. I don't know if you've seen the documentary, the singing revolution, um, gorgeous one about the Estonian uh, experience with overthrowing communism and, and how they, how influential these folk songs, traditional folk songs, were for them. And Andra Mount, um, who was at Beacon, she had just linked me to a piece on um, uh, Latvian, uh, a story of kind of Latvian defiance. It was a similar story. I'm sure you probably remember that scene in Casablanca Hmm. where uh, the Germans are singing their uh, anthem and then the French come in with, uh, or the, the others come in with the French anthem. And uh, yes. they're they're kind of overstinging them, and it was a story much much like that. Um, which and that's you know again that's another one of those I see that in Casablanca, and I I just start crying, you know. No, and that's one of the. <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah. And the, and the, go ahead. 
you know, the backstory of that too is that you know some of those people who were singing that in that movie had actually fled uh, Nazi-controlled uh, Europe, not uh, Nazi Germany and, and other places. And so, I mean, when they were crying, when that woman was crying, it's because she actually was crying uh, b- because of the power of that moment. Yeah, and I, w- I was just going to say on a lighter note, uh, my uncle Scott uh, taught me this, and I've carried it on as a good standard. And, you know, with my brother just getting married, I'm the older brother, but he seems to be the one seizing life in a more responsible way quicker than I, and I'm proud of him for it. But uh, the standard is this. If I'm dating a woman who is doesn't like Casablanca or is not willing to watch Casablanca, I don't think the relationship's going to last. Like, that's just yeah, such a that's great probably film. Fair. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. It really is. And I, I'm not an interventionist, but nevertheless, I find that movie to be very inspiring. Very moving, very moving. Now, I, I want to ask you about, uh, you know, your film. I believe it was in film festivals in February, right? But you've... Yeah, so it, it premiered in February, and then we've been doing festivals and continue to do festivals along with... Um, along with other kind of private screenings at different events. And in fact, they were screening it at PCON as well. Well, that's fantastic because I believe I came across it via Sean Malone's page. I follow Sean a lot. And I came across it right right around the uh, Tiananmen Square anniversary. And uh, I I found it to be just so moving. Uh, I found it to be just the right exact time for this sort of film. And again, folks, we're talking to Robert Anthony Peters. Check out his new short films. 15 minutes of your time. Very much worth it. Uh, Take a break from the sound and fury of the political news. Donald Trump, if you're a Trump fan, hasn't even started speaking at his kickoff yet. And I'm sure you can watch that later. Take 15 minutes of your time to watch uh, Tank Man. What did it make you feel like, having started this film earlier in the year, seeing the anniversary come and go with the Chinese government response, especially them, the embassy in Washington dressing down Mike Pompeo for, you know, his audacious statement on it. What did it make you feel like to see the response in Hong Kong? Uh, well, boy, I mean, it's just, uh, China, it's still politically quite discouraging. And there's a great book called The People's Republic of Amnesia by Louisa Lim, where she talks about just this the fact that you know China is not facing up to this really important uh, event, um, but but yeah, what's happening in Hong Kong is just tremendously exciting, and I I love how galvanized these people are uh, uh, and, and jealous of their rights. I mean, they are out there. I, I love the fact that on the Sunday, two Sundays ago, there were a million people on the streets to protest the extradition bill. And in the middle of the week, the leader of the country, who I, I think is just, you know, has said some terrible things about her fellow country people, just calling them like petulant children that mm-hmm. need to, that she needs to be sure they, they don't get what they want or they'll end up being spoiled. I mean, these are human rights we're talking about, not not just, you know, mere privileges some some things that they'd really care for you know like a like a student loan or something like that this is this is basically the right to live you know and not be sentenced to die in a work camp somewhere so uh, but but then they, she tables they table the bill 
and you think it was over. And then it's not only not over, they doubled down their efforts. On last Sunday, this past Sunday, 2 million people out of 7 million are on the street. Man. 30% of the population. And you think, my God, could you even imagine 30% of the U.S. population <laughs> coming out for anything? No. I can't <laughs> fathom it. But but this is just, I mean, it's it's tremendous. And I love that spirit. And, you know, I've, I've got a... Um, a film festival screening in Hong Kong, July 6th and 7th, that weekend. And, and you know, I hope they all come to see my film. Uh, 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 but but if not, uh, I hope it's because of a reason, like, they're on the street doing that. Right. And I'll go out there and screen it for them, you know. Uh, now now we've, we've got that ability, so. And, and back up a little bit. Walk me through that, that process. Did you know that you were... Like you were, I imagine, attempting to get your film into China, into Hong Kong, but was it a, a sure thing? I mean, what were the odds when you first had the idea of maybe we could get this at a, the Hong Kong festival, this film festival? Did you think it was going to happen? You know, I, I keep submitting my film, and uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm always optimistic, so I always assume things are going to work out, and uh, I mean, I, I guess I don't get su- too surprised when I get my rejection letters from Chinese film festivals, but I'm always a little hopeful that it'll get through. Um, and and you know, and then I I was pleasantly uh, surprised also that that we did get into the Hong Kong one. Although I, I was I had relatively more confidence that that we would get into that. But you know, it's it's been a bit of a challenge because we've gotten rejected from a fair number of. Um, Asian film festivals, uh, even in the States. Mm. And when, when I was first casting this project, there were a number of actors who said, I can't work on this film uh, because I'm from China or I'd like to go back to China or I have family in China and I can't be involved with content like this because of that. And mm. so I, I kind of partially expect you know, the rejections that happen, but I, I always hope that, that, you know, that, that it'll go, that it'll get accepted, especially in these communities or these countries. But, uh, you know, I'm just pleased any chance I get to screen it and to talk about it and, and hopefully, you know, help educate a little and inspire some and, and just, just share this, this project that so many wonderful people, uh, had a hand in, in, in making it. Well, and if you could uh, talk about the, those folks who helped you make it, in particular, uh, some of the actors who, who appear on camera, I, I, I just find it heartbreaking what you just said. That, and this is how a lot of authoritarian regimes work. They, the threat itself leads people to self-censor or to uh, essentially stop and regulate their own behavior without the government having to do it directly. And so for, I, I would love to hear about the folks who said, yes, I'm on board. I'm all for this. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, there was one actor I remember the um, the guy who was playing the boss of of our protagonist in there, and he was really excited about you know, I I think it's the the stick it to the man kind of aspect mm-hmm. of the film, um, and he uh, and so you know based on his enthusiasm alone, it's like well you know I I want to work with people who who really you know have a passion for it and. And actually, I was really fortunate. I mean, I had a great cast and, uh, and folks who were really behind it. And, 
and as well, so many resources, um, you know, that people, crew members that I got to work for way less than their day rate because they believed in the material. They thought this is important, whether, you know, and not just for, uh, but for China, but, but for us, for the U.S. and for, um, you know, just people around the world in general to have kind of this um, inspiration and, and to, to be uh, galvanized to, you know, fight against some of these, um, these just, these tyrannical aspects that are out there. Uh, and I was, I was really, just really fortunate to get such a great team and, and huge kudos to the editor, Arash Aram, who, uh, so generously, you know, a lot of times with these short films, you've already run through the budget and then some by the time you get to post-production. And so he was, has been incredibly generous with his time, uh, uh volunteering to, to work on this. And uh, you know, he shares our views. Um, and just, uh, I, I've just been so fortunate to, to surround myself. And in fact, the, the person who's creating the poster, which, uh, we're almost done with that. Is uh, she's from Hong Kong, and she she saw the film and was like, "I I want to you know do this for you." She's uh, she's a graphic designer and volunteered that. So it's been really very very nice uh, that, that we've been able to have people who who care, who are willing to give to to help get this out more and more. Well, and, and again, folks, we're talking to Robert Anthony Peters. He is the writer and director of new short film, Tank Man. Again, take 15 minutes of your time. Take 30 minutes of your time and watch it twice, if not 45 minutes and three <laughs> times. It, it is worth it, folks. Um, it is stuff like this, and I, I just love that I personally, on a personal level, me running across this on Sean Malone's page, I had really been... You know, kind of caught up in, you know, the Graham Allison's Thucydides trap theory, you know, the rising power meeting the established power, as well as, you know, the president and uh, his trade wars with China and all the, you know, prognostications that have gotten China wrong. And uh, for the most part, China continues to confound a lot of theorists and and the social credit score, so much what's going on there that I, I felt like I was losing and almost playing into, in my opinion, too much of the nationalistic great power struggle. And so to have this film that reminds everybody that these, at the end of the day, whether it's a nation of billions or hundreds of millions like the United States, they're people with all their individual stories and insecurities and hopes and dreams and, and what have you. And to have your film kind of take me out of this usual political, you know, geopolitical struggle and that sort of thinking and remind me of the personal uh, was incredibly important because I actually ran into a, a young libertarian who started to talk to me about Murray Rothbard at my brother's wedding at the reception. And I said, one of the things I'm trying to do, no matter somebody's politics, is not win an argument first, uh, is actually connect and remember you're talking to a person um, that, you know, maybe if they disagree, even if they're a tyrant, you need to understand the person behind these actions. And so I, I have to just say, Robert, thank you for that. Uh, this is, I, th I think, the, the best aspect of your film. It reminds people of the person, not just the symbol of the tank man, but the whole, what might motivate somebody to take a stand uh, when they don't have to, when they easily, as you said, could have gone home. Well, and, and you know, one, one little detail too is 
if we didn't have those photographers there at that moment, mm. at that place, we wouldn't have seen that, right? right? And so, you know, we're so grateful for that, but we also, we can extrapolate that and say, how many more acts like that were out there? How many acts that happened that we never will see or know about? And so, you know, you can take kind of an optimistic view that we just happen to get this. But how many more people like him are out there, you know, putting their, themselves on the line? And, and there's got to be more. And, and we're so lucky we, we live in a world where, you know, people are so caring and, you know, and, and are willing to, to do these kinds of things uh, for others. Well, Robert, if folks want to maybe follow you on social media, see what you're coming up with and working on next, how can they do that? Uh, well, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm, I'm one of the only Robert Anthony Peters out there. So everything is branded with that name. Uh, my Twitter handle is Robert Three Names. I'm not terribly active there, but, but I do try to post. I, I send a lot of stoic tweets out. And I do, um, uh, you know, I'm on, on Facebook um, and, uh, certainly, um, Tank Man, uh, the movie is our handle both on Twitter and Facebook. So, so take a look there. And I'm hoping we're trying to squeeze out a similar type of Berlin Wall story hmm. before the anniversary, November 9th. It's the 30th anniversary this year. So wish us luck on that. And if anybody wants to do more than wish us luck and would like to be an investor on future projects or help us with touring around with the film, be more than happy to uh, entertain those notions also well robert i appreciate being on the show tonight and maybe on when we have a little more time i might just message you whether or not i should get like a memento mori tattoo or whatnot how historically accurate <laughs> something like that would be uh but I, I appreciate your time tonight we're we're out of time folks uh for the show this evening um i'll be back tomorrow should have some fun and continue the conversation